0: Welcome to the Harvest Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this message will bring healing and encouragement to you. Enjoy this week's message. Today I have the privilege of bringing the word and usually in Youth Sunday I preach. This is a lot of words. Usually in Youth Sunday I only use like five verses usually because I don't want to uh, cause them to lose their attention span. But today I'm not just preaching to youths, I'm preaching to the whole congregation. So young people, I need you to bear with me. Today I have 15 verses, alright, 5 verses per slide. Uh, So you need to bear with me, okay. So the the context here is we're going to read about Prophet Elijah and Elisha. Today I want to look at how uh, successfully Prophet Elijah passed on his ministry, passed on the mantle to... Elisha. I I find that very, very interesting. And if you don't know prophets, they speak on behalf of God. So they hear from God, they listen from God, and then they prophesy over the nation of Judah or Israel. They prophesy over the king. They speak on behalf of God. That's what they do. And and prophet Elijah is a prominent prophet. And this portion that we're about to read, we're going to read about that succession from prophet Elijah to Elisha, that transition, all right? So I'm going to read verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, it's interesting because that's how Elijah dies. It's interesting. He died by being taken up to heaven. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel together. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. All right In our Malaysian context, we're saying, lah, don't, don't don't talk. It's disrespectful to, to talk about a prophet before he's gone. All right, verse 4. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. So the same thing is happening a second time. But he said, Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho together. From Gilgal, they went to Bethel, they went to Jericho. Again, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, same thing. He said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, again, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan, the third place. Again, Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground, kind of echoing what happened when Moses parted the Red Sea. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, now this is the moment, ask what I shall do for you. What do you want from me, in other words, before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if you do not see me, it shall not be so. This is the last portion, verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, the chariots of fire and horses of fire, Separated the two of them, and Elijah, as mentioned, went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. So this gives us an idea on the relationship between the two of them, not just mentor and mentee, but of spiritual father and son. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces as a sign of mourning. Verse 13, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had, that, and, and when he had struck the, that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. We see the transition or the succession of power, the passing down of the baton. some would say, the passing down of the mental from one to another. The title of my message this morning is simple. It, it's entitled, Shoulders to Stand On. Shoulders to Stand On. Let me pray this morning as I invite God's presence empower me as I share the word. Father, we want to thank you for gracing us with your presence, even as we have praised and worship you. Your word declares that you inhabit the praises of your people. And right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher, to be our guide, to convict our hearts, to, to be a light, searching light in our own souls and in our lives for whatever that is not right, whatever that we may need to change according to your word. I pray that you use me mightily as your mouthpiece. Let every word that comes forth from your mouth not return to you void. And I pray that you open open the hearts of the people as they receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Alright, a show of hands, how many of you at this age still genuinely enjoy cartoons? Okay, quite a lot. Good, good. Maybe some of you are shy, you know, but in Harvest Youth we always say that you can raise up your hand, you don't have to worry about your armpits smelling bad because we're all wearing masks. So, So you don't have to be shy, you know. Uh, but, but usually, we, we, we had this perception with cartoons where it's for kids, like you cannot really speak much, you know, maybe it's beyond us, it's, you know, for the younger generation or really for kids, you know, we don't like watching. So you can put up the, the, the movie on, on, on the screen. And recently, I was just watching this movie. I don't know how I came across it, but I find it so, so interesting because you don't expect a, a, a cartoon to kind of speak to you. You would think that it's, it's for kids, but, but towards the end of the movie, I was really shaken in a good way, and it really, really impacted me, right? So for the next few minutes, very short minutes, I, I'm going to, re- in, in a way, kind of like review and summarize this movie. This movie came out five years ago, so for whatever reason, you don't want me to spoil it for you. You can cover your ears you know, right? in the next three minutes. Those watching from home, you can mute me if you still want to watch this, right? So, and I believe it's necessary for what I want to share so, Cars 3 suggests that it's the third adaptation, right? We see that before in movies. So, Cars 1 and 2 happened before this. And if you've never came across this before, this is the world that Disney created where there's no living human beings. And the living beings are cars, right? They are cars. And the main character is this, this red car. He's called Lightning McQueen, this red car. And in the first two cars, he's the hero. He's at the peak of his career as a racer. But in the third cars. After some time had passed, now he's like a veteran on the brink of retirement. You know, he's like wearing out already. And, and with him at the end of his career, there are younger cars, bear with me, younger cars coming in, taking over, so to speak, wanting to take over his mental, asking him to retire. You should go already, your time is up. But he is not ready to let go. And, and, and the big statement in the movie is, I will only quit when I'm ready to quit. I'm only, I will only leave when I'm satisfied, when I feel I'm done. I don't want anyone, any young fella coming, you know, to push me aside and ask me to retire and move on. And that's his heart behind it. So the new cars that are coming in, one of it is the black car at the back, right? That black car is called Jackson Storm. So that black car is his main rival throughout the movie. All right, so Lightning McQueen, he races for a sponsor. Usually in, in NASCAR and the racing, they race for a team. They race for a sponsor. Alright, so his sponsor believes in him. Even though he's a bit older, he's not as fast as, as he was before, but they trust him, they believe in him. So they invest in certain training regimen for him. And they hired this yellow car, which is a trainer. This yellow car is a female character. This yellow car is much, much, much younger than him. So for a big part of the movie, we see the interaction between the two of them. How the yellow car train the red car. And then later on, we find out that that yellow car always wanted to race, always had the passion to race, but never had the opportunity or the confidence to do so. So you see the two of them kind of going through ups and downs during the training part. And now we fast forward to the end of the movie, right? This is what, this is what happens when you let a youth pastor preach. Talk about Katun. lah. Yam Don't worry, those watching online, Pastor Alan will come back and then he will correct all my mistakes next week. All right. Bear with me. Alright, I'm, I'm going somewhere, okay? Trust me. Alright, now we fast forward to the end of the movie, the final scene. And I would think the classic underdog story is usually you begin uh, a bit losing, you know, start losing first, losing a bit of doubt, and then when certain people come and encourage you, and then you got a uh, change in perspective, you're motivated, and then you end up winning. So I thought that this was what would happen later on with the red car. But to my astonishment, what happened was as he was racing, he had a change in perspective because he realized that his body just couldn't do it. He really, really couldn't do it. And he was thinking to himself, "It is this yellow car always had a desire to race, but never had the opportunity, never had the confidence to do so. And because the two of them raced in the same team, so what he could do is he can go into the pit stop and tack her in. So she can come in and win. And to my astonishment, that's exactly what he did. He wanted to win so badly, but deep down he knew he couldn't do it, that his time is already up. So what he did was, he went to the pit stop, he tagged her in, she came in and she won it. And that's how the movie ends. And it completely caught me off guard because I never thought that something like that would happen, you know. I never thought that I could learn something from a Disney movie. And the main line in the movie, where he says, I will only quit when I'm satisfied, towards the end of the movie, he was satisfied because finally he found his purpose. You know, even though we stop racing, it doesn't mean we lose our purpose. Maybe for us, some of us, the next season is paving the way for the next generation. Maybe for some of us, you won't be the one crossing the finish line, you will empower someone else to do it. But at the end of the day, the team still wins. But you may not be the one to cross. The finish line. I believe as I was preparing this message, I, I'm reminded of this story because I wonder whether we are aware that we are racing or running for the same team. And sometimes that can happen even within a church. We forget that we are all in this together. We have the same goal. We are part of, the, part of one body. And in order for the kingdom of God to keep advancing, for our team, so to speak, to keep winning, many times we need to think beyond ourselves even if we are not the one to cross the finish line, will you still do what is necessary? You know, if you're a leader in this place, you you lead people or you're a parent or you're just a a leader over a ministry, if you really ask yourself the question, if you keep doing what you're doing, is this ministry sustainable? Will it have longevity? Will it die with you? Or will the ministry go on without you? Because sometimes even myself, I can fall victim to thinking that I'm so important that the ministry needs to be built around me. And the problem with that is later on, if I am taken out from the equation, the whole thing will crumble. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that. So if, especially if you're a leader, especially if you're a parent, if you don't instill the right qualities in your child, when the time is right, it's an investment. And then when the time for them to go out to the world and to be exposed when the time comes, it may be a bit more challenging for you. So I'm wondering this morning whether we would do that right thing. So what I want to talk about, of course, is succession. I want to talk about the raising of a new generation, and that is crucial to ensure that we keep winning and adapting through the seasons. We don't stop just because we stop racing. We move on to a different role of equipping Others. All right, I have a big, big, big disclaimer here because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, a young boy, uh, you're asking Pastor Ellen to move out of the way. Uh. You're ready already. Uh. Well, that's not the heart of this message. The heart of this message is not about succession of one person to another, but I'm talking about a generation rising up, the next tier of leaders. So I want to just kind of address the elephant in the room. You know, maybe you think, oh, this, this boy asked Pastor Ellen, siam, is my moment, you know. That's not my heart so I hope you understand that, all right? Okay, let's move on. But succession is easier said than done, right? There's so many bad examples in the Bible. When you move from one king to another king, you read about it in, in 1 Kings, Second Kings, usually you have a good king, and then when they pass to their son, the next king, they depart from the ways of the Lord and they become a bad king. So I'm just wondering how, how did that transition take place? A few examples. Jehoshaphat was a good king. But when he passed the Jehoram, he departed from the ways of the Lord. And what that means is that he led the nation of Judah to worship idols and other gods. Hezekiah was more or less a good king, but his son Manasseh was the complete opposite. Josiah, the one who instigated reforms and said, no, 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 we need to come back, we need to worship God, even he failed in a sense that his son was a bad king, Jehoahaz but this morning, I want us to look at a good example, in my opinion, one of the most successful transitions from prophet Elijah to Elisha. And I'm gonna make a few observations regarding succession, and I hope that uh, we can learn something. And today's message is interesting because I wanna speak to three different groups of people. Number one, if, if you are generally maybe a bit more um, older, it's not specific to age because it depends whether you're a leader, um, Um, It's not specific to age. For example, you know, I'm younger than a lot of the worship leaders that I'm trying to raise up in the worship team. So not specifically, I'm talking young to old. I'm just talking about maybe a predecessor to a successor, right? So have that in mind. I want to speak to three groups of people. The first group is you are a leader. You've been in ministry in a while but maybe God is impressing on your heart that you need to start planning for the next generation. That's the first group of people. Second group of people, maybe like the young people here, you're on fire, you're ready, and you want to do more. You know, you want to, you want to succeed. That's the second group. The third group, which, is, which I fall in that category, you are a combination of the two. Certain aspects of your ministry, you are, you are the mentor, you're the leader. Certain aspects, you are the mentee. That's for me, for example. You know, in, in youth, I, I'm leading them. Uh, but but in, in regards to the entire church, I'm under Pastor Ellen. So, so for me, it's, it's two ways. And maybe for you, it's like that as well. Generally, I want to ask the question, how can we provide our shoulders for others to stand on? At times, it may be uncomfortable but I believe it may be necessary to ensure the kingdom of God keeps running and keeps growing from glory to glory, from strength to strength. And another question is how to stand on the shoulders of others. So I want to go maybe a little bit more practical with how that transition takes place between Elijah and Elisha, right? Let's go back to the passage that we read. I want to make three observations and then we'll be done, all right? I actually time myself to preach short because in youth ministry, you go past 20 minutes and then they start losing attention already, right? So 20 minutes is uh, probably the intro of Pastor Allen's message, right? So, um, so trying, don't tell him that. But anyway, he can watch. <laughs> All right, so, so I hope that I won't go very long today. Okay, my first point. First observation I want to make, you need to stay close. How, how can you lead or mentor from a distance? How can you be a good follower or a disciple from a distance, right? If you're leading from a distance, that means that they cannot observe, they cannot learn from you, they cannot journey with you. Look at verse 1. It says, Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as, stroke, to Bethel, to Jericho, to Jordan, because it happens three times. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Scholars would tell us that He, by this point, he already know that Elijah is going to be taken away. But he feel like there's still something to receive. There's still something I want to impart from Elijah. And I'm not ready to leave his side just yet. So three occasions he didn't leave. He stayed close. We backtrack a little bit. In the appointment of Elisha, it's interesting because if you read towards the end of 1 Kings, it talks about the appointment of Elisha, as the successor. That's, that's what the heading says. But if you read the verse, it doesn't talk about successor. It talks about the appointment as an apprentice, the appointment as an assistant. And if we look in it further, the experts will tell us that he spent six years, six years under the leadership of Elijah. Six years, succession takes time. Succession is not an event, it is, it's a process. The problem with some of us is we only plan for succession when we are tired of the ministry and we are ready to let go. Now I want to let go. The right thing to do is find a successor. Ayah, who can I find? Ah? You want, right? Ah, then we just kind of throw to that person. Succession doesn't look like that. Succession is not self-seeking in a sense that you only want to succeed when you are done. Ayah, I want to pass on now. I want, I want to pass to you already. Then you start looking, okay, who, who's interested? But succession, I feel, is something that we should set in motion. It's not an event, it's a process. So I believe it goes both ways. When, when you begin that succession process, you need to be close to the person you're discipling, to these young people, I need to be close to them. At the same time, they need to have the desire to be close and learn. You look at Elisha, the desire that he has to stay near and learn. Because ultimately, we learn more from what others do than what they say. And this is also a reminder, at the same time, a warning. Because sometimes we don't realize that people are watching, you know. People are watching. I, I can the truth is I can preach on stage and, and and hopefully do a good job. But at the end of the day, I believe these young people they look at whether I hang out with them, whether I spend time with them. At the end of the day, after youth service, after Sunday, do I actually care about them? All these plays apart. So meaning they observe. They observe. I believe this message is not just for mentor mentee, but it's also for parents and your child and your next generation. It's so true that, you know, kids, they, 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 they learn so much more from what you do as opposed to what you say, right? You may be thinking, you know, Ruben, you're not qualified to talk about parenting. It's true, but my parents are because they raised the perfect son. Yeah, actually, I don't know why some of you laugh because I think it's true. All right. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right. So your kids, they, they observe you, and, and sometimes we forget that with this, two and a half years of pandemic, we have a generation of young people who matured or developed within the pandemic. So can you imagine one day as a parent, you know, after the pandemic, when things are dying down, and then you say, hey, come kids, uh, we want to go to church, you know, and serve, uh, and we want to be a part of the physical worship. Your kids will be like, huh? You go to church one minute? Online, online. You can watch online what? That's what we've been doing for the past almost three years. Watch online. Then to your astonishment, you say, no, 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 we need to go to church. Then you ask, you're serving, man? I thought you only go physically when you serve. When you don't need to, we breakfast in bed and then we watch the service. Well, I thought it's like that. And then to your astonishment, you don't realize what you have said because they look at the example that you have set Unintentionally, you already set a, a culture. And that is the young people that we're talking about. And those years, teenage years, I believe quote-unquote, are so fertile and so important for them because those are the years that they observe. Those are the years that they've developed their characteristics, who they will potentially become. So I think as, as parents, I'm not a parent just yet. I'm not here to announce any good news. Um, but I think that and I think that as as a parent, you need to be mindful of these things. Well, I want to be very fair as well because maybe there are valid reasons why you cannot come to church as a family, right? Those watching at home. But I want to give you the next best option. If you have any teens or any young people slowly transitioning to become a teen, send them to Harvest Youth. I say all that just to give you a promotion. right? Actually, I think I'll be quite a good salesman. <laughs> Send them to harvest Youth, uh, if you can entrust us, you know, for that short period, you know, on on Saturday of of, uh, putting them in the right environment so that hopefully we can play a part and make an impact in their lives. You know, sometimes fetching them to youth, I know for some parents, may be a very mundane thing. You may think it's not very important, but as you look back, I think it's an investment. Fetching them, putting them in the environment where they, are, they grow with, with an authentic Christian community. They serve, they get that ownership, you know, they, they, they are on fire for the Lord. And then later on, when the time comes, you realize that they are not easily shaken. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 reminds us to train up a child in the way that he should go so that when he grows older, he will not depart from it. So as a, as a parent, because I know there are some and some of our youth parents they are attending today, Within this season, what, what are you going to do? I think it's so, so crucial. I remember when I was in my previous church and I was talking to some of my friends and they were telling me that they were watching a movie on a Sunday. And for me, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I don't want to be offensive to any of you, but I just couldn't wrap my head around it. On Sunday? You know, ask them, why why you want to watch a movie on Sunday? Sunday, no one, ma. Sunday, cheap. Sunday, you don't have to fight. You know? Then I'm thinking... Why am I so bothered by that? It's because the example that my parents—that's how they raised me. Sunday is for the Lord. So my point is, what you do in this season, especially in their lives, is so crucial and is so important. All right, they learn from what they see, what they see us do, and not just from what we say. All right, something to keep in mind. As a leader or as a mentor, there's also a need for us to allow them to be close. Some of us, we like to lead from a distance because when they get a bit closer, they tend to see some of our weaknesses. We, we are a bit afraid when they find out a little bit more. Maybe we, we feel that there's a need for us to impress them, to put an image where, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm strong. This is me, you know, I never failed before. And, and I think at times it may backfire because you become so unrelatable. You become so hard to approach because when I approach you, will you judge me? Because based on what you say, you seem perfect. You seem that you have it all together. And as young people, I, I wouldn't want to speak to that person. I'm worried that he would judge me because I'm so different from him. And for me, that is a false perspective, wrong perspective that I had when I started youth ministry some, just three months ago. I thought that what you need to do is like preach and then impress them with the preaching. So I put a lot of effort, you know, in trying to relate to them. I said, what show you like? Uh, You like what show? Then I say, okay, you like the show? I'll find a way to fit that show into the message, you know, to catch their attention. And then I do all these things, you know. I think message, the preaching, has has definitely has a very important role to play in, in, in youth ministry. But what's more important, I think, is the journey with them. When I begin to build relationship with them, when they know that I care, I realize that whatever I preach is received so well because they know that I care. I wonder this morning for some of us, if you feel like you're Leadership, maybe you feel like it's lacking a little bit. It's not that there's anything wrong with you. You're doing well. It's just that maybe you don't have a real and authentic relationship with the follower. Maybe you don't allow them to be close, to be personal. And for me, that, that's what I learned in that short time in, in youth ministry. It's not about impressing them, but it's about journeying with them. And that's why yesterday we had our youth hangout youth hangout if you saw on uh, instagram we have a youth hangout we have different age groups as my wife deborah mentioned and each group went to different kind of like did different activities they went different places it was it was fun and for me i i honestly i was i still get very nervous you know preaching preaching the word and and i wanted to prepare i was a bit tired but i told myself but i need to go because this is the moment where i can build relationship with them i see that as important if not at certain points, more important than the message that I preach. They want, I need to hang out with them below the stage. You know, when I come down from the stage, that's where I build connection with them. So I see value in that. So my point is, if you're a mentor, if you're a leader, you need to allow your followers, your disciples to be close to you. And as you journey with them, there is a real genuine relationship to the point that the relationship is like father and son, mother and daughter, as what Elijah and Elisha's relationship all right, that's the first point. Stay close. All right, let's move on with the narrative. Verse 7b, as they both were standing by the Jordan, Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. All right. so if you don't know what a cloak is, I'm sure some of you watch Dr. Strange, he will say, this is my cloak, this is my cloak. All right, so they take the cloak, he, he took the cloak, he rolled it up, struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. We continue, and when they had crossed, next slide, and when they had crossed, this is my next point, verse 9, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, a difficult thing, yet, yet, there's a condition here, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not, be so. My point that I want to make is in regards to asking or just taking initiative, I believe that initiative should always come from the leader, from the mentor. Sometimes within that relationship, there's a lot of guessing game, you know. Maybe as a leader, you said, oh, this person never expressed his desire to serve. This person never rise up. It's also difficult from the follower side and say, Oh leader, I'm ready to rise up. It's it, it just not natural. It doesn't work like that. If you look at the relationship between Elijah and Elisha, at this point, there was an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is who is going to succeed Elijah, Elijah when he leaves. And I think and I believe Elisha really, really wants it. And that's why he didn't leave the side of Elijah when he asked him three times. I don't know whether he's testing him, testing his faithfulness, his dedication to stay the very end. I believe that 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 should be initiated by the mentor. It becomes so much more easier. The leader should be the bigger person. The leader should be the one reaching out. The leader should be the one following up when they don't show up. The leader, the mentor should be the bigger person. Funny thing is sometimes we lead and then we we, we feel like the follower is not responding. But that's your role. Your role as a leader is to unleash the potential within each and every one of them. That's your role as as a guide. As a leader. And I'm so thankful that even just now, you know, some of you come up to me and say, you know, you're doing a good job with the youth ministry, but if there's ever anything that you need, ask. Ask. Whether it's resources, whether you know it's any way that we can help. And it's not just one, you know, a number of you came up to me and it's and it really speaks to me because just like in in a similar way, just like how Elijah opened the door for Elisha, what is it that you want from me? What is it that you want? Some of you came up and said, if you n- ever need anything, ask. And that means a lot to me because now I know there's an open door whenever I need help. And I think that's what we need to do. So I find this very interesting. So El- Elish- Elisha asked for a double portion of Elisha's spirit. If you look in the Old Testament, the elder son usually inherits a, a double portion of the inheritance of the father, right? And I'm the only child, so don't have to worry about all the inheritance stuff. All good, we know where it's going. <laughs> all right. That's a, that's a bit mean, lah. all right? Okay, I'm just joking. So what he's essentially saying is, I want a double portion of your spirit. Some scholars believe that he's essentially hinting to him, I'm your successor. I'm your guy. I, I want it. I'm ready. And he had to show his faithfulness, you know, because it took some time. There's a condition here. The condition is if you stay to the very end, if you see me as I'm being taken away, then it is yours. So he did. He did show that dedication, that six years of being trained as an apprentice. You know, for some of us young people, maybe we feel like our time has not yet come. And I felt that before, you know. I feel like, why like a like a lid over me? You know, I, I want to rise up, but not yet. I think that's God's process of, of pruning us of training us, maybe we're not ready. If God allows us to shine and lead when we are not ready, He is doing more harm than good. So something to to keep in mind. But on that note about initiating, I do have just a few questions that I want to throw out. You know, for as long as I've been in church, not just this church, but other churches, there's always a desire for the next generation to rise up. We always mention that there's a, there's a desire for the next tier of leaders because we need to have like a succession, you know. we need, And I'm sure the board or some of you leaders, cell leaders, you've talked about it before. But I think besides just initiating that idea or that vision, there needs to be much more clearer intention. You don't just initiate the idea, but I believe you should initiate more practical stuff. I'll give you a few examples. So when you say young people rise up, are we talking about more young adult cell groups? Are we talking about potentially a a new uh, church service where where there are platforms for for young people to run uh, uh, maybe young people theme service? Are we talking about having more young people in the church board with election coming up? And if that happens, how does that help the next generation to rise up? But what my point is, when it comes down from top down, it becomes so much more easier. Is there training involved? Is there a leadership pathway? Or what, what do we do when we want to rise up? Is there like steps? Is there a classes that we go through? So when we say that we want young people to rise up, I think that's not good enough. How are we going to do it? Rise up to what? So sometimes I wonder. The heart is there. The intention is there. The vision is there. But I think moving forward, this is something that you know, we can work together Today, I don't see my role as representing um, the young people and asking for things. I don't see my role as representing the older ones and asking young people, you know, we better buck up. Huh? When the opportunity comes, you rise up. I see myself more as a, a, as a vessel, as a, hopefully a, a middle ground trying to pull the two together. All right, so rise up, but how? In, in what areas? You know, there is a condition that is given here as well. It's good that you have that fire. It's good that you have the passion. Just like Harvest you. This first few months we are on fire, but ultimately, I think what a good leader should look for is faithfulness. We need faithfulness. That is the condition. For a lot of us, we are impressed with talent. We are impressed with you know that good looks. Thank God I have both. You know, they are. It's true. You don't have to laugh. All right. Okay. It's a joke. All right. But unfortunately, I don't have humility. Alright, so, so we are impressed with that. And at the end of the day, God doesn't say, well done, creative and innovative servant. You know, well done, you, you, you are stylish, you know, you're so hip, you're so relatable, wow, well done, good preacher. The Bible says God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Have you been faithful? And as a leader, if you're looking for succession, if you're looking for the next person or you, who you want in your committee, I think what we look at is should be faithfulness. And as a young person, you know, many times we kind of build all the external aspects. Maybe you want to improve in your skill, you want to improve in all the external stuff. But what God is looking at is that faithfulness, that dedication. I think that's what we want to look at. I have the privilege of teaching guitar and drum students and I always tell them the same thing. The most effective practice regime is to practice every day for five to ten minutes without fail. Doing that is better than practicing two hours once a month. And, and the two hours sound very impressive, you know. You say, wow, I practice for two hours. You'll be like, wow, I'm so, I'm so impressed by that. All right, then after that, oh, no more idea. I got no time. At the end of the day, which one is more effective? The one that practiced five minutes 10 minutes, but every day. You relate that to your devotion, your quiet time with God. You know, we always say that, keep it simple, 5, 10 minutes, spend time with God daily as opposed to having, you know, a great fast, two hours a year. You know, you compare the two, which one is more effective and I think that's what faithfulness looks, at, lo- looks like even though we don't see uh, the fruit of it just yet, but we keep plowing the ground, we keep sowing. Amen. So, so I think in terms of, just to recap, as a leader, you need to initiate. You need to be the bigger person. Makes it so much more easier. It opens the door. Just like, it's so maybe a bit awkward between Elijah and Elisha. I don't know. I call it elephant in the room, you know. Am I supposed to succeed? What's going to happen? But then Elijah said, ask, what is it that you want from me? And I feel with that, he opened the door, which a lot of you are doing me and for the young people and for the next generation. But moving forward, I think when we see more of this happening, then you slowly see the baton, the baton get passed down, the mantle get passed down, and then there is a hopefully a smoother transition of leadership in the years to come. Alright? In no way am I trying to tell the church leadership, step down is our moment. That's not my heart behind it. Alright, so I hope you, you get that. Okay, us. That's the next that's the, the point that I want to make. Let's continue with the narrative. So I'm going through like a story and then I'm going to make my third point. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. So the moment had come. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Isn't that a great way to die? You know, maybe you got no pain, no fear, no worry, just like that, so get taken up. And it's not very common in the Old Testament. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And if you really read it, you can feel his sadness. I wonder whether there's some younger people, you know, I'm just taking time, taking turns to kind of like bash this group and then bash another group. I'm trying to be very fair. I wonder whether there's some young people or maybe a successor, you are just waiting for your leader to leave. You, know? you just can't wait. When is he going to leave? Oh, these people, so many years, are they still there? Leave. But that's not the heart of Elisha. When he left, he was sad. My father, my father... I mean, you can say maybe he wanted to take over, he wanted to have a good succession, he wanted to be the next top prophet. But if you look at the narrative, that's not his heart. Because ultimately, the relationship between the two of them became father and son relationship. And I'm praying that as we move forward, if there's any mentor, leader and follower relationship, we will model after this. It's like father and son. Amazing. All right, just an observation. The chariots, okay, then we move on. And he saw him no more, means Elijah is gone. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces as a sign of mourning. And this is a big one. Verse 13, And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Some believe that cloak is, represents the mantle. There is authority in that. There is, there is um, anointing in that. So he took that up, picked it up. He picked up the cloak that has fallen from him and struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. He is not angry, he's not scolding God, but some believe he was ensuring that the anointing is with him. Because if you look at it, the last quote-unquote miracle that Elijah performed is the first miracle that Elisha performed. You look at that passing, it's beautiful, all right? Struck the water, water was parted, and then Elisha went over. Now, When the sons of the prophets, all those kipoti, you know, around, sons of the prophet saw him, they said, they acknowledged, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. That that was the transition. But for me, the point that I want to make is you have to pick it up. You see, at this point, it's all talk. At this point, Elisha, he showed desire, I want it. You know, I want a double portion. It's all talk. But when the time comes, will you actually pick it up? Because when you pick up, it's not just prestige, it's not just authority, it's also responsibility. There is a weight of responsibility to it, you know. What about the enemies? What I mean, I'm sure Elisha heard about the enemies that Elijah had when he battled with the prophets of Baal, you know. It's, it's difficult. And as a leader, sometimes people will shoot you and then you will get, get uh, I don't know, criticized behind your back. You know, people will gossip about you. So as you pick it up, you need to be sure, do you really, really want this? I'm, I'm so glad that Elisha did. There's a very interesting thing that takes place. I mentioned towards the end of 1 Kings, God very specifically already told Elijah who to anoint as his successor. Already told him, you have to anoint Elisha. He already knew. At that point, I don't know whether Elisha knew, but Elijah already knew who he's going to pass down to because God asked him to anoint, right? But yet he still tested him. Yet he still, I want to believe, That he put certain obstacles along the way to test his faithfulness. Now when we go back to the beginning of the scripture, it makes more sense. Now he's saying, the Lord is calling me to Bethel. The Lord is calling me to the Jordan. The Lord is calling me to the Jericho. But Elisha's response is, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not depart from you. There is still something to receive. There is that that sense of hunger. I wonder whether, you know, with the young people, there's a sense of hunger. I want to learn as much as I can from this generation. I want to learn as much as I can. I'm not just waiting for them to go off, I'm not waiting to go and then I can have my moment, but there's so much for me to receive, you know? And for me personally, I observe a lot, you know, Pastor Ellen and the church leadership, and, and the, the church of course is not perfect, but there's one thing that I really love about the church is whenever there's a vision, very quickly you see people catching on to the vision, and whatever that we kind of set in motion will take place. And that is an anointing that I, I find so worthy for me to inherit, hopefully. You know, in, in regards to the youth ministry, when there is a vision, hopefully I can build a group of people who catch that vision and say, let's go. And I think that's kind of like a, a very good legacy that Harvest has built. So something like that, I, I begin to observe. All right. But at the end of the day, the question, just like Elisha had to pick it up, I wonder when the opportunity presents itself to you, whether you're a young person or whether you're taking up the challenge, when that opportunity comes from you, for you, in front of you, will you pick it up? Because a lot of us, we can have talk, you know, big talk, but then when the moment comes, we don't want to pick it up. You know, some people tell me that they they like movies because movies, you get it done in two hours. But I don't want to watch drama. Why drama 16 episodes, you know? Do you watch Korean drama? Right, watch it, right? And then it will help you with your relationship with your wife. Right, you just look at what the Korean guy does and then you just do it and she'll love it. Alright. I mean, it's working so far. So far. Working so far. It's... uh, Honeymoon phase lah. Some people say, you know, Ruben, you're still in the honeymoon phase, you know, so whatever. She, she's quite good, no? Whatever that I say, she just say, okay, she submit very well. So, so that's a good direction <laughs> to have. But, but joke aside, we don't like Korean dramas. On average, 16 episodes. Some of you will know, right? 16 episodes. And this is an oxymoron sentence, but sometimes I hate how much I love it. Does that make sense? I hate it. You know why? Because I love it so much, now I need to change my lifestyle to make time for this Korean drama. It's quite annoying, right? Some people like movies, two hours, done. Forget about it, move on with your life. But then now this drama is a commitment. That's why for me, a drama is a commitment. You, know, you look at the backstory, I look at behind the scenes, is this guy good-looking, is this girl good-looking? Alright, what am I about to commit? You know, because you all know I have quite a lot on my plate. If I want to commit, it's like a part-time ministry. You know, I have to commit to watching drama. So then I really discern and ask myself, is this the right thing to do? Of course, I'm making a bigger point. In a similar way, a lot of people, they want to take up the challenge, but they like one-off thing. You know what's one-off? Ruben, you need help, call me. I'll come. But I won't be there all the time. I want to watch the movie. I don't want the drama. I don't want the series. Why? Because if you want me to commit, I need to change my lifestyle. There are certain things that I need to sacrifice. And now my flow is ruined, I'm inconvenienced. Cannot. So, but I want to help, so I can help when you need me, call me. But, but I don't want to be that through the whole period. And for us, some of us are like that. Maybe we're in different seasons, and I understand that. I'm not trying to be, be offensive or mean. But I think especially for the next generation, when you step up, you need to step up wholeheartedly. It's not just certain aspects that I like. When I feel like it, I come. When I don't feel like it, I don't come. That's not what God is looking at. He's looking for faithfulness. He's, lo- He's looking for those who are in it, you know, for the so to speak, Korean drama. Maybe God is training me. You know, watch more Korean drama. Trains your faithfulness. Alright, okay, that's not biblical. Don't quote me on that. Alright, so I hope that gives you an idea of what I'm trying to say. But as you serve, I believe deep down, it, it is an investment. An investment means that you don't see it just yet. Maybe you don't see it right now. You know, my, my mom, she had to send me for uh, music classes at the age of 11. It is, I'm sure it's not cheap. And at that point... I, I i don't know maybe she already see very far ahead she said one day you're going to need all these skills so i'm going to invest it right now do it right now so investment means that may feel uncomfortable it may cost you something but you don't see it just yet and the bible tells us that there will be rewards maybe some of those rewards you won't see in this life maybe you see in in, in the next one where you get to enjoy for eternity maybe that's for some of us as you serve i think god will also bless your family you you become a great example for your kids to look at. Can you imagine when when my dad or when my mom, you know, for you leading the charge in serving? Wow, that speaks volumes. So much more than having to teach them, you know, and really really go through the Bible, you know, that, that's important as well. But ultimately, I think your example speaks so much more. And ultimately, I believe your own spiritual life you will grow as well because when you serve, deep down you want to improve because you are leading people now. You sense the responsibility and you want to build, you want to equip yourself. So there are benefits to serving and God is no one's debtor. He will not ask you to sacrifice and do all those things and not bless you. Maybe the way He blesses is not in in your timing, maybe not what you expect, but God is no one's debtor, right? I hope that speaks to you. And my question to young people or anyone who is looking to take up the challenge, when it comes in front of you, will you do it? Will you actually take up the challenge? I don't know how it looks like for you. Maybe it's, it's committing to being in a committee, you know, and we don't like that word. This committee means I need to be there for the meeting. Uh, we need to be there for the long haul and not just come in when I want, go out when I want. So maybe for some of us, we have a desire to rise up. And at the end of the day, this is what I love about our God. It's always up to you. He never forces you into anything. And that's where the beauty is because you get to make the decision. And I pray that when these opportunities come before you, and I'm not just speaking to young people, you know, because there are various ministries within the church, a lot of community and, and schools and all that. There are many ways that you can help out. And when the opportunity presents itself, I wonder, just like Elisha, will you pick it up? Will you take it up? All right. I, I, I'm almost done, but I want to draw to a conclusion with with this character, Nehemiah. And... and as I was preparing, I felt that God asking the question to our church, I wonder if there are any mayas, right? Of course, not the name. I'm not talking about the name, but what it represents. What it represents. You know, the people of God, they were, they were rascals in a sense that they turned away from the Lord. They took advantage of His goodness, His faithfulness, and then they worshipped idols. They worshipped other gods. And because of that, God allowed them to be exiled to Babylon And then later on, some years pass. we we read about the Persians coming in, overtaking the Babylonians. And at this point, when we read about Nehemiah, they were under the rule of the Persians. Nehemiah is a cupbearer, and where we pick up in the story, I won't go to the story, but just very quickly, he was in the presence of a king, and he was sad. As Pastor Ellen mentioned before in his message, you know, you, you cannot do that when you're serving the king. But the king realized that he was sad. And the king told him, you're not sick, so why are you down?" And then he asked this very interesting question. He said, why am I not sad? Why am I not down when the city that I love, when Jerusalem is in ruins? And I believe after this pandemic, in some sense, it has left the church in ruins. You know, I, I know that we have a lot of advancement in, in the media and all that, and that is exciting. But as you look around and you really ask yourself, we are not like before if you're honest with yourself, we're not like before. There are still a group that maybe would never come back to church or maybe have gone to another church for, for whatever reason. But I wonder if there are any Mayas who would say that, I am sad. I pray that there will be some kind of discomfort within you, a healthy dose of discomfort and dissatisfaction and say that, how can the church lay in ruins? You know, if some of us, God has blessed us, you know, my career is doing well, my kids are doing well. But how can the church, the church that I love, the bride of Christ, be in ruins after the pandemic? If I have strength within me and I have breath within me, I want to do something about it. And that is the heart of Nehemiah. King asked him, what do you need? What are the resources that you need? He asked, asked for permission. He went back to Jerusalem and he built the walls of Jerusalem. And I think for the next season, this coming season of our church, it's definitely a season of rebuilding. And I pray that there will be more Nehemiahs rising up and say, I cannot stand this. The church, the walls have been broken down. I need to rebuild. I need to do my part. Amen. And that is my challenge to you, not just to a young person, but in general, will we take up the mantle. All right. Musicians, musicians can come. I'm going to end with this statement. Standing on the shoulders of giants. I want to end with this statement. You see, Joshua stood on the shoulders of Moses. Timothy stood on the shoulders of Paul and Titus as well. You read in the pastoral epistles. The disciples stood on the shoulders of, of Jesus. They, they observe Him, what He did. Some of you are checking out a young musician. Wow, I got a drummer here. Not bad, huh? next generation. Oh, wow, I got young people here, you know. <laughs> but I'm so glad. Let's give a hand to the team because I think they did really well. All right. Okay, let's continue. The disciples stood on the shoulders of Jesus And more importantly, Elisha stood on the shoulders of Elijah. And I find this very interesting. The scholars would tell us that Elisha went on to do twice as much as miracles as Elijah did. Twice. And there's nothing to boast about it because Elijah set the foundation for him. Just like us, you know, there's nothing to boast in in Harvest Youth because the, the older generation, the previous generation set the foundation for us. In fact it's because of them that we can achieve all this and i feel that if we approach it with this heart i believe we cannot go wrong that is the right posture that is the right sense of humility that we should have as we reflect in our own lives sitting here how many of us can really say that we are a self-made man i know some of us we like to say that we say that you know i did it on my own but along the way i'm sure someone came and, and advised you someone came and encouraged you and picked you up and I believe through it all, it is God lifting you up, but through different people. And that's us. And as a maybe a slightly older person, I pray that God will instill within you this desire to mentor, to raise up the next generation, to provide your shoulders for them to stand on. It may be uncomfortable because human nature is, will they do better than me? You know, are they going to do better than me? Are they going to make me look like I didn't do my job properly for the past few years? But I don't think so because the posture is because of what you have done, now we can do what I do, what we do, right? And in, in, in Paul was telling the Corinthians, you know, there's a process to growth. You know, we sow the seed. There's a different group that waters, but God is the one that causes the growth. So you have a part to play in the process as well. And for the younger people, I think it's a posture of Humility. It's so important, you know, that when we achieve success, we know that through it all, it was God that enabled it, but it was God that has set these different authority figures, different mentors, different leaders in our lives who paved the way for us. How can any of us say that we did it by our own strength or our own might? But through it all, as I conclude, I believe ultimately this is bigger than you and me. This is about the kingdom of God. And in order for the kingdom of God to keep advancing, to sustain to thrive to pick up after the pandemic there needs to be a succession there needs to be an intention there needs to be a discussion along all these things how can we raise a next tier of leaders because in order for us to keep winning and racing and achieving great things for the Lord there needs to be longevity there needs to be sustainability Amen so I hope that speaks to you I feel that there there are two postures that we need to have if you are a leader or a mentor and you feel like, I, I want to spend the next season of my life equipping the next person. It doesn't matter if that person is older than you, but it's just about ensuring there's continuity. And even as we sing, I pray that God will, will put that seed within you. In a sense, as we take up the mantle of being a mentor, or of guiding, of shaping lives. And as a young person, if, if you're here and you have the desire to rise up, you feel like, I, I want to rise up, I want to do great things for the Lord. I pray that you would respond as well. So as we sing, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. It's really more of saying that, God, I I want to catch that flame. God, I want to take it. I want to run with it. I want to be an impact wherever I go. And if that's you, whether young or old, not so young, not so old, I want to invite you to come as you respond. Especially for parents as well. And I feel this burden that for parents, sometimes there is a fear. I don't know whether I'm doing the right thing. But I believe in this season, if you put them in that right environment, and maybe for this church is Harvest Youth, maybe for another church is something else, I pray that that responsibility is there to invest into their lives. Amen, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for all that you've done in our church, that through the different seasons, we cannot declare this by our own strength or our own wisdom but it's by your grace alone that we have come this far and father your word declares that he who had began a good work in us will be faithful until the day of Christ and we know that you're not done with us that you will keep empowering us to raise up the next generation for you are a generational God you don't just see one season but you see the big picture in fact you are the beginning and the end the alpha and the omega and you see the end from the very beginning you already know what's going to happen and our posture this morning is that we want to trust in you Lord and I pray that God even as the message has been preached I pray that more young people will have the desire to rise up to, to carry their torch to pick up the mantle and say oh, I want to give my life to Jesus there's so much more that I can do the talents the, 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 all that the Lord has given to me I want to use it for His glory and Father, we want to pray for our faithful older generation who has been running for a while and we are so appreciative of the legacy that they have created. I also pray that you will, you will spark a flame within them to have this desire to mentor the next generation, to provide their shoulders for us to stand on so that together as a church, we can grow from glory to glory, from strength to strength for your kingdom. And our desire is that the earth will be filled with your glory amen and it starts with this church and it starts with clang and beyond father we acknowledge that ultimately you are seated on the throne of grace and you deserve all glory or honor amen and in jesus name i pray and declare amen amen come on if you believe that give god a big praise thank him for what he has done for what he will do in the coming future amen amen god bless you as you go